Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to another episode of Rider on the Road. Today I have with me an amazing man who keeps coming back for more on the podcast. I've got no idea why. Good morning, Kevin Tumlinson. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's mostly because I'm like a publicity whore, honestly. Um, I'll show up everywhere. I'm like a bad penny. <laughs> Damn it, everyone. I thought he liked me. Um, but we'll, ta- we'll take all the whores we can get over here. All right. right, uh, right. Kevin Tumlinson, for those of you who don't know, is um, Director of Marketing at draft to digital And we'll talk about that a little bit later because Kevin's got some personal news that is, is even more exciting than that. Uh, Kevin, would you like to tell us about your latest Dan Kotler thriller? Yes, I, I, I'm very excited. I uh, and the, the pre-order is up right now. It's releasing um, the 28th. Uh, which I believe is a Friday, July, uh, for anyone in the future. But uh, it's the it's called the Devil's Interval, and uh, it's one that I've, I've I've kind of experimented on. The other two uh, full length Dan Kotler books, you know, followed a certain pattern, and I and I follow, I sort of stuck to that same pattern. But I've been kind of experimenting with uh, what I was doing with the characters. Uh, so it's a, it's a little different than the first two. Um, falls back in line though, but I'm really excited about it. It's, uh, it's, and I've already started the next book. So, I mean, it's, it's got some real momentum to it. Yeah. It's cool and stuff. That's one of the reasons I like talking um, with Kevin. Well, one of the reasons, other than that he's a cheeky bugger. But um, you're <laughs> writing, Kevin. I'm putting that on my <laughs> – that's going to go in my bio. Yeah. Kevin Thompson. <laughs> Best-selling, best-selling, award-winning author and cheeky bugger, and 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 hall seeker. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Everyone, if you want to get Kevin's official biography, you can certainly go to LinkedIn and you and you will get it um, because he is an amazing man. But what I want to talk about to you is your writing. You you're always experimenting. You're always trying things. Last time we spoke, you were yeah. putting out a story a day, every day for weeks on end. Um, now yes. you're up to third. The third um, Dan Kotler started off with a Coelho mag. I pronounced that wrong last time, didn't I? Um, yeah. How do you, you say it? It's Coelho Medallion. It's it's a Portuguese name, which uh, I I stole from uh, uh, Paulo Coelho, uh, who's the author of The Alchemist. So uh, there's a kind of running joke in all the books. There's always, in one way or another, there's an author's name uh, intimately tied to the book. So <laughs> that was the first one. And Atlantis Riddle uh, was an inside joke first, but it... it became the actual title of the book uh, because there is A.G. Riddle who writes the Atlantis Gene and that series of books. And so it was kind of a – there was a gag that Nick Thacker and I had. And so I decided uh, to run with that as a title. It worked for it worked great. It ended up informing what the book was going to be. So, And this one is uh, Devil's Interval is a continuation. So Dan Kotler is an archaeologist and uh, he actually is, uh, is a, a multiple – uh, PhD uh, scientist slash you know he's a archaeologist slash quantum physicist kind of thing uh, and uh, he is a consultant with the FBI in a brand new division of the FBI called Historic Crimes and uh, they basically investigate misplaced history <laughs> so things uh, things you know murders or uh, stolen artifacts or terrorist activities that somehow involve uh, some quirk of history. And so that's where he came in. And, you know, we did that in the first two books. That's, that's the change, by the way, that, uh, I've been experimenting with was the first two books. It was really, he was an independent and, uh, he just happened to be tied to this FBI agent because of the, the events of the story. And, uh, the idea to sort of create this, this division in the FBI that he could participate in, you know, it, it was almost born out of necessity <laughs> because I needed a way for, you know, Kotler and, and Roland Denzel to actually, you know, uh, keep interacting with each other uh, because I just liked their dynamic. Originally, Agent Denzel was going to be a throwaway character. Um, he was literally a throwaway character in the first book and then he, he reappeared suddenly and uh, took over half the book. And so um, how could I not bring him back, you know? So, 
it's sort of these two, uh, you know, they're kind of bros, you know, they, they sort of rib each other, give each other a really hard time, but, and they're from two different ends of the spectrum, you know, uh, agent Denzel, he's the, he's an ex, um, ex military quarterback in high school, that kind of guy. And, you know, Dan Kotler is this brilliant, uh, he's, he comes from wealth. He's, you know, he's, uh, they're in many ways are very different, but you know, the story is really all about how they interact with each other and how they solve these mysteries and crimes and, you know, uncover these archaeological, uh, you know, mysteries themselves. <laughs> so <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of fun. I mean, I, I switched genres because of these books. I'm, I'm totally a thriller author now. So, yeah. yeah. And I do love to experiment, by the way. Yeah. You brought that up and it is a thing. I mean, it's what I do. I like to play around and see what else what new thing i can create <laughs> yeah and everyone just just to be very clear on this fact um talking to kevin he he has a wonderful sense of humor but he's also an extremely smart man now we're talking about the intertextuality of um the references in your novels and we're talking about um triple phds uh but new mm-hmm. technology and forbidden historic research now i don't read science fiction but i'm very keen to read this one as a thriller uh yeah. New technologies and um, uh, historic research. What made you throw those two together? So uh, the the premise of Devil's Interval. So Devil's Interval is a reference to um, a real thing. Uh, it's a tritone. Uh, if you if you study music at all, you probably have heard of this. They're they're common. You hear them all the time in music. It's it's you know there's nothing special about it at this point. But at one point in history, uh, the tritone was considered. It was named the Devil's Interval because um, it was considered to have an influence on pe- the way people thought. It would, uh, it was connected because it, it's a sort of eerie sound in a way. It would evoke a sort of negative emotion in people, not negative, but a, a sort of creepy emotion in people. So there was an idea at the time that music might be a, a sort of gateway. Uh, for you know spiritual influence, and uh, there were those who studied the the Devil's Interval to see if they could determine like why it has the effect it has. And among those was uh, Sir Isaac Sir Isaac Newton, uh, and so I bring him into the story a little, um, some of his research. But I'm, I'm personally I've always been just fascinated by this idea that uh, you know sometimes you can you'll you'll come across research uh that's one of the principal ideas behind this book is that there was this research done in primarily in secret uh, by a well-known figure a uh, very intelligent genius level figure and uh it, it didn't go anywhere he didn't pursue that he his he didn't pursue acoustics as much as he pursued the study of you know gravity for example you know he's best known for that uh he studied the pro- the properties of light um you know, and ironically, you know, we have an entire branch of physics uh, referred to as Newtonian physics, which is all based on Newton's uh, sort of initial ideas and principles. But ironically, he worked on what would later become known as quantum physics because he studied and discovered the uh, this sort of both the combined wave and particle um, function of light, and which is something that is a, is you know integral to quantum physics. So it, it, it all kind of comes together. And I've always had this real love for, you know, finding the quirks in history. And then I also love, uh, invention and innovation. I love inventors. I study, you know, I study Edison and Tesla, you know, I study, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, you know, I, I've studied these guys and, uh, and then in more modern times, you know, Elon Musk and Steve jobs and Steve Wozniak, you know, I've studied all these guys and I, I love the quirk of, these brilliant people who come across concepts that just change the world. And then I have this theory that there are probably a lot of those concepts floating around there or floating around out there that, you know, we've forgotten. <laughs> so, yeah. And th- this concept of misplaced history was, has always been intriguing to me because I, I love, um, you know, alternate history stories. I love that sort of thing. Um, and sort of the what if stories, you know, what if Hitler had been a successful painter instead of a failed painter? You know, what would the world have been like? And that l- tends to lead you on these tangents where you, you say, well, what if Hitler painted a masterpiece that that was um, stolen, you know, 
and it can it is under under layers of paint are the plans to the uh, facility that he was building where he you know was cloning people or something you know I, i'll start throwing ideas like that together and suddenly i've got a book so <laughs> so if you're not hooked by now everybody i mean i'm making notes here uh i, I don't want to mention big bang theory and um what's his oh, name i love big bang theory <laughs> Sheldon. Sheldon had to be am Sheldon. I, am I being Sheldon? Am I? To- uh, I mean, I think I'd liked it. Now Sheldon and I were both from Texas. You know, the guy that plays Sheldon, um, he's he's from my neighborhood, man. He's here. He was a uh, uh, grew up in Spring, Texas, and uh, even attended University of Houston. So we're in each other's backyard over here. I'll just make a note there, Sheldon's neighbor. I'd have to speak to Carla to find out whether you were really like him. And his Carla is no. Yeah, it's Kara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kara. Kara, but yeah, Kara. yeah. It's and she. Uh, no, I'm. I, I'm a little more socially adjusted than Sheldon. Uh-huh. I read a lot. <laughs> uh, and and that's always the sign of a of a good writer. And um, everyone, if you want to take away the very first tip from Kevin, because we'll kick into um, so many other things he's got to share with us today. Uh, but reading widely, bringing your own curiosity to your to your novels. I'm guessing right. you've got quite a large following now. You're up to you're up to um, book number three in this series, or I presume yeah. in this series. Uh, and you're yeah, well, right quickly. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh... I'm getting quite a quite a fan base for the books. Um, the The trick here has been, and I have to remind myself of this frequently. And if you're out there and you're thinking about um, writing cross genre, um, I can tell you that it it, it it's fine. Uh, you can do it, but the limitations. <laughs> one of the primary limitations: um, building an audience for each genre is difficult, uh, and because a lot of times readers won't switch, they won't cross over. Um, I have discovered that my sci-fi readers are generally okay with uh, thrillers. Uh, it's not; it's just not really their bag. So I basically had to start over. Um, but what's been kind of fantastic is, uh, you know, I'm, I am three books in. I do have a novella as well. So I, I'm starting to build that library. It was almost – it's essentially been like starting over. But as people discover the books, they're so excited about it that they're they're going out and doing my marketing for me like they're they're telling people you need to read this you're, you're going to enjoy it um i took a i took some flack on the first book uh, there were there were issues i was just learning the genre uh there were some problems with uh sort of the way the story was put together that you know i think about every now and then going back and tweaking that but then i i think you know it, it that book won an award <laughs> that book hit bestseller status it's hard for me to you know, justify going back and, and altering history there, especially when so much of the other books, you know, kind of kind of come from that. Yeah, altering history, <laughs> the great irony of uh, of my work. But yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, people seem to be excited about the books. I I'm thrilled that they love them. Um, you know, so far the reviews have been very good. Uh, I you know, I could use more reviews. Uh, it's sometimes hard to convince people to to review the work, but yeah, I'm. I'm. It, to me, it changed my career. It changed my life. It changed the entire trajectory of my career. When uh, when Quelo Medallion did well, despite its title, right? Like I, it, it kind of started as a joke, really, as a, a sort of an inside wink kind of thing to my buddy Nick Thacker, and uh, it it was a dare. And then all of a sudden, it did really well. And then the next book did well. And you know, I have my critics, but I also have these like rabid supporters and I didn't quite have the same effect when I was writing sci-fi and fantasy. So I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I love, and I love writing them, man. I, I don't get tired of them when I, by the time I got to the third book in Citadel and the third book in Sawyer Jackson, I was sort of ready to end these stories, you know, uh, and wrap them up. But, uh, Dan Collar, I think is going to be around for a long, long time. <laughs> he's essentially me. I mean, he's essentially, you know, he's me with multiple PhDs. You know, if I had multiple PhDs, I would be Dan Collar. Um, but I don't. <laughs> so we've now met, um, Kevin Tumlinson's alter ego in, in his novels. Now the thriller genre is, is growing hugely and, Yep. Would you say that any of your success has anything to do with people like Mark Dawson and J.R. Penn or Joanna Penn, writing as J.R. Penn? Yeah. Well, you you seem to be right up there with those guys or you're heading that way. Yeah. Um, 
they I think that they are they're riding in a market that where there's this ravenous appetite. I think that um, people just you know, especially outside the U.S., it's 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 a little strange. Um, inside the U.S., romance rules. Uh, you know, that's the top selling genre here. Uh, you know, that's what we see the most uh, produced. Uh, the, produced the most often, but uh, outside the U.S., people just love thrillers, and we have a large thriller fan base in the U.S. as well. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I didn't do this because of that. Uh, but if I were to sort of retcon the whole thing, I would go back and say, you know, <laughs> this is actually it's a it's a wide open it's it's the sort of genre where you can't uh, saturate it. There's so many people out there who are so into it and just want to get their hands on the next story and the next story. Uh, I think that it, that's why it works. And, you know, Joanna and, and Mark, they're both incredible writers. Uh, they both have loyal fan bases. They, they, they did open up a path for the indie to get into this. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of honored that my books are kind of getting in that, that window, that they're being compared to that work, you know, Joanna's stuff, you know, she, she tends to go with some more supernatural thrillers. Uh, I've only got one book that really, I feel fits that category and I kind of love that too. But right now I've, I've kept my stuff very grounded, which is much more like Mark Dawson's stuff, you know, sort of a Jack Reacher. Uh, actually the comparison is always, everyone compares, I'm not even bragging here, but people compare my character to Indiana Jones. Um, Probably because he's an archaeologist, you know, <laughs> so but, it, you know, he doesn't carry a whip yet. Uh, but, you know, life is still young, but he is he's an expert in body language, which I thought was a quirk. Uh, he's really an expert in humanity when it all comes down to it. Uh, if I have to explain him his you know, I've done this in the books, like people will ask him, like, why archaeology and quantum physics? And his answer to that is that they're they're both a pursuit of. Uh, for, you know, uh, to learn more about how the universe is put together, you know, what our reason for being here might be and, you know, how, what the purpose of life really is. And, um, and so they're very compatible to him. <clears throat> so he's just really comes down to being a, a student of humanity. Um, he's more of an anthropologist than, than a, than a generalist, uh, archeologist. Uh, he studies people and he, wants to know more about people. And that's very much me. I mean, <laughs> I have a huge passion for anthropology and I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I, that's where a lot of my ideas come from is because that's where my passion in reading tends to be. So, yeah. and do you think that could be why your books are so um, successful and, and growing in popularity is because your passion comes out in your writing because that's something we have to have, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I honestly, I do think that that is a, that plays a huge role. Um, there is the, the there is this concept of writing to market, um, you know, and, and like my friend Chris Fox, he uh, wrote a whole book on this subject. And I, I do think that writing to a uh, writing with a specific market in mind is very important. Um, I think the mistake would be to write purely to market and not put any of your own passion into the work, because that is what feeds my stories. When I read a book, you know, I've I read a lot of histories and biographies and I read about great explorers. I, you know, these are the things that I'm very passionate about myself. And what happens is even if I'm just completely making up a, a piece of history, you know, that, that this piece of history does not exist. Uh, it's still grounded in very real history and people recognize it like they feel it and uh, they feel your interest in it. Um, and I've written on some fairly dry topics and had people come to me and, and tell me how exciting the book was and how fast paced the book was. And I, it's baffling because I'm like, you know, half the book is, you know, two guys sitting in a coffee shop talking about, you know, a, an archaeological dig that they haven't even been to yet. You know, and so it's um, that's fascinating to me. I think there's a hunger out there, though, for it. That's I'm trying to fill a niche that that I I sort of perceived by instinct. I think that there's a lot. There are a lot of people out there who wanted this kind of story to exist. So yeah. I'm and very also, excited to get to it. And it's also the uh, interest uh, reading intelligent fiction, I would call it. Uh, we, we, we move mm -hmm. away from literary fiction and then genre right. fiction can fall into – I'm going to get shot here – into the tripe realm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. But, but, well, but intelligent people writing intelligent fiction, that's got to be an attraction. I. 
I would hope so. You know, I, I like to stumble across those types of books myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love finding fiction that um, is, you know, is as informative as it is entertaining, which is one of the sort of the tenets of, of you know, I, I have these um, principles that I established for myself. Uh, I want my fiction to be positive, right? I want my fiction to be informative and inspiring, Um as well as entertaining. And I love when I come across authors who, who do this and who write this way. Um, you know, there are some authors that, I, that are doing incredibly well and I don't particularly like their work because it's in a way it's dumbed down. You know, it's, it's talking to me. It's, it's just pure brain candy and no substance. There's no meal there. Um, but you know, it, I cannot criticize these guys cause they're, they're out there producing something that fits that audience, that that audience demands. So there's nothing wrong with brain candy, but I don't want to make a meal of it. And uh, I think a lot of people, <laughs> uh, a lot of the more sophisticated readers, the readers who have, you know, uh, branched out from one genre. You know, I used to be the guy who only read sci-fi, for example. You know, I, I didn't care for anything else. I would only read sci-fi and I had my like three or four authors I like to read and that was it. Um but when I started reading more biographies and, you know, reading history and reading, uh, you know, uh, fiction that, you know, maybe it wasn't genre fiction, you know, it was literary fiction. I mean, I started sort of falling in love with the language, with uh, the thought that went into it, uh, the, the sort of cadence and rhythm of it. I mean, I that became a part of my DNA. And so now when I write, that stuff comes out and it, it you know, it, I hope that it feels intelligent. I hope that people are reading this and saying, you know, and the reviews seem to back this up. But I mean, I, I hope that when people read a Dan Cotler thriller, it's not purely for the action, because frankly, I don't think there's as much action in my books as there are in, say, Jack Reacher or, you know, or even, you know, Mark Dawson's, um, you know, uh, Milton. Uh, uh, I, you know, okay, Milton. Sorry, Mark. I've, yeah. Dan, no, I don't think Milton? it's Dan Milton. No? <laughs> John Milton uh, or something. You know, I think I messed that up. So I'm sorry, Mark. Um <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to care, but uh, you know those those books are uh, they they're intelligent, but they also tend to have a lot more action. Um, I think there is, uh, I think there's the right amount of action in my books. They're not action adventure books, though. They're very much sort of the thinking man's thriller. That's the way uh, I may bill it. You know, I mean, it's 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 all about you know sort of the what if uh, scenario. And the the plot of this uh, my current one, I mean, it, it really comes down to um, there's a technology that is very dangerous that is sort of an accidental accidental result of a philanthropic effort, and uh, you want to see some good come out of that because once you sort of get on board with you know yeah this would be a great thing to have and then you realize the consequences of inventing the technology like you in the, you know now we're in a we have a conundrum you know so there's a little bit of should should this exist should it be buried you know uh who's who's behind um you know stealing this and who's behind this murder and you know and where where do we go from here so it's <laughs> I, I i put a lot of thought in that stuff this this book in particular was a was a sort of uh, I diverged from my path slightly, only in that it, it became more of a murder mystery for the first, like, you know, two thirds of the book, um, trying to figure out who who did it, and then, you know, the technology is the thing that that amps it up and adds uh, adds fuel to that fire, so that now it's it's more than just solving this murder. Now we have to actually uh, save the world, and uh, we're going to do that through science and archaeology and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think saving Knowing the world the right facts. Saving the world through science and technology, it's gotta it's gotta be a hook because you know, we've had all this hacking around the world, we've had all these things. I've had LA Larkin on the podcast a few weeks ago and she, she writes thrillers and she was talking about uh the technology side of things. She writes um environmental psycho thriller psycho thrillers yeah. or something like that as well but getting into yeah. what's happening in our world today and marrying it up with crime uh right. i guess we're all interested in a way because if you start playing the what if game with that it gets a bit scary doesn't it we need the good guys to save us right right yeah and that's it, in the end it's all escapist fiction right i mean we're 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 gonna sort of 
identify with that protagonist and we're going to be the one who solves the mystery and we're going to be the one who saves the world. And that's, that's sort of the point of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the way I structure the sort of mystery side of, of the thriller, uh, you know, I have my character make a revelation. He, he, he realizes things well before they're revealed. So, you know, but it's all based on some little hint, some little clue that that popped up in that moment. Well, the reader at that point gets to solve the whole puzzle based on his aha moment. And that makes the reader feel intelligent, you know, because they're they're looking at the same evidence he is. So I'm not just flat out saying, here's what happened, folks. I'm saying, you know, the so and so says this and Dan Kotler realizes, you know, he's been thinking about this all wrong and now he knows who did it. And so. You know, from that point on, the the reader's paying real close attention to every detail, and there are lots of contextual clues that that give them the satisfaction of solving the mystery themselves and before the big reveal. So, at least I hope that's how it works. That's how I plan it to work. (laughs) Don't you love that big reveal, everybody? Now, you are a lot more confident and a lot, uh, I guess, stronger in your in your writing self than than twelve months ago because you were you were playing with your short stories, you were putting out right. one a week, you you were transferring from science fiction to thrillers. I'm listening to yeah. your talk now, and and the confidence, uh, and I guess um, the happiness that you that you are oh, yeah. settled and secure and moving forward. Uh, does right. that mean there's going to be another how-to, right? You had the 30-day writer, and I noticed someone brought it up in a podcast with you just recently, and I'm thinking yeah. it might be time for you to write a new one of those. Yeah, you know, I keep thinking about it. I, I have a book sort of on the uh, drawing board I've been tinkering with. There's quite a bit of it written. I, at this point, I think it's really come down to uh, sort of editing and filling in the gaps. I, I have a book that I've titled um, Indie Author Blueprint, which – I, you know, it's, it's more, uh, the thing I want to avoid is I don't want to come out and say, here's the, here are the ABCs of, you know, becoming an indie author. Um, because there's, there are so many paths to this career. Um, and I don't want to discourage anybody. Like, I don't want anyone coming in and saying, well, I can't do that. That's too much. Or that's, that doesn't fit my personality or, you know, I don't have the resources and I, I don't want that. So what I've been doing is uh, from time to time, I'm writing content for this thing that is aimed at sort of uh, the multiple approaches. Um, I don't I don't give a one to one ratio. What I give is the blueprint, um, and then you as the uh, architect can uh, can build this thing on the blueprint and then go decorate it any way you want to. <laughs> and so, um, and I think that's important because I you know I just had a conversation with Justin Sloan today. Um, and, uh, you know, he and I do a podcast together and, uh, he was sort of on a rant because, um, someone had approached him about his success and, you know, he has built a career, uh, primarily around doing collaborations. You know, he wrote, uh, some books with Michael Anderley in, in his universe, uh, and they're doing well. And he, he was able to go full time because of this work. And the criticism was, you know, don't, don't brag too much about your, success when it's all predicated on working with an already successful author. And I'm like, what, where does that come from? You know, almost, almost every major author out there had to have some help. Most, most authors don't just come into this with everything they need to succeed. You know, it's the rare author who had no help. And, uh, I was really upset by the whole thing, but he had that path. Now that path doesn't work for me. I've tried collaborations and I, I don't do well. <laughs> like I'm just not good at it. You know, I don't, I don't enjoy the process. Maybe I will, you know, Nick and I have written some stuff together and it's done well, but yeah. you know, that's not my path. So, mm. and I think that's uh, one of the things about uh, indie writing is that we yeah. all there's room for all of us. There's room for however we write, and there's always room for improvement. Everybody's helping everyone. Everyone's got a little bit of advice. Uh, so that's a really good um, time to move into draft to digital and talk a little bit about yeah. that. But before we do, I've got this one thing that I've had sitting here for ten minutes, but I can't get a word in. Uh, is uh, I'm sorry. reviews. I'm sorry, I do that. <laughs> I love it. I love it because I just have to sit back and listen. You're my ideal client. The other one was um, Park Howell. He just talked and talked and talked and he was the story writer or something. He was great. Uh, you have a, a review here that I read last night and had a bit of a chuckle. It's um, Kevin is what every writer should be, entertaining and thought-provoking. But it came from a press secretary of the U House, U.S. House of Representatives. Right. I thought, right. is that a joke or is that real? 
No, that's that's absolutely real. And here's here's the real kicker. Uh, she and I went to high school together. We were lab partners in chemistry, and uh, so when she when she reviewed she reviewed I think that came originally from uh, Citadel, um, and she's a, she follows my work and she really loves it. But yeah, so that was that's a little bit of a cheat because I didn't know her. But she she was the she's no longer she's not in that role anymore. She was at the time that she wrote the review though. So oh, I love it. I thought <laughs> oh my friend Kevin's really famous. I thought it was a fantastic <laughs> review, and I think I'd have it splashed across the top of the top of the website. All right, I let's. Should, I should just move it up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving right along to draft to digital now, Kevin. Right. Before I go there, I have to actually have to ask this question. What happened to your RV lifestyle? How come you moved out of that wonderful RV that we saw pictures of and looked absolutely oh, amazing, and I'm assuming you've sold it? Well, we haven't sold it yet. We're actually having some uh, warranty and repair work done. Um, I uh, I took it to Austin from Houston uh, for the Smarter Artist Summit, and on the way back, uh, one of my um, storage bay doors was was damaged. <clears throat> um, so and there's and there are other things. There are little things. Um, we we were now we were in it full time and we really did enjoy it, um, but what happened is a couple of things changed for us career wise. Um, so you know I'm with Draft to Digital now. I uh, I'm traveling quite a bit. I'm going to conferences. You know sometimes three or four a month. Um, September and October are going to just be a complete blur for me <laughs> because I've got back to back conferences uh, mostly in Orlando. Um, so there's that aspect. And then my wife, um, she is a project manager for, um, a, uh, a, a division of office depot, uh, where they do like, you know, uh, furniture installations and that sort of thing. And so she manages all that and they have her traveling, uh, by air quite a bit. So the, the thing that was working out, uh, sort of against us was we were traveling, but we were both traveling to different parts of the country or different parts of the world uh, at any given time and never really together. And so uh, we were basically parking the RV in a slip somewhere and, and leaving it. And so we decided, you know, if, we gotta, if we're going to do that anyway and if we're going to travel that much anyway uh, separately, then we'd rather have a home base you know, that was a little more roomy. Because uh, even when we would take the RV somewhere, yeah. we'd suddenly have to hightail it across the country to some other place. And, mm. you know, that's no fun. So um, we were spending more time worrying about what to do with the RV than actually enjoying it. So we still have it. Um, our plan is to actually sell it. And then we're going to buy uh, a smaller well, – there's a company called Happier Camper – that makes a, uh, a, 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 a they make a small pull behind like bumper pull trailer. We won't be living in it, so it can be much smaller. And uh, the idea is to just you know go and road trip and boondock and you know enjoy enjoy it. You know that when we have time to go take these trips, we go do that, and we don't worry about all the maintenance and everything of the of the big rig. So. I, I still I'm a big fan of the whole RV lifestyle, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah, I just at this point it it was just not uh, it wasn't really a good move for us uh, to stick with it. It was just smarter for us to to get a new place. Yeah, and at the start of the interview, you talked about lives um, taking different directions, and and you yeah. never know what's around the corner and what's going to what's going to happen next. Now, with your writing taking off at the same time as your draft to digital uh, life taking off, because draft to digital is is really the go to place now, I think for indie indie publishers. Yeah. I'll talk about that. I keep putting it off and putting it off. Where do you find time to write? <laughs> we almost need another well, podcast you know- for the draft to digital stuff. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, I do all the podcasting. Uh, yeah. I do, and I do not just you know, appearing on podcasts. I have my own, right? Um, yeah. So there's a lot that goes on, and uh, everyone asks me that question. And here's what's great about my life: um, I write in the mornings. I have a goal of, you know, I, just, I typically have a minimum word count that I try to hit around 2,500 words. Okay. What happened to 5,000? What happened to 5,000? So here's the deal. Uh, my minimum is 2,500. <laughs> I will frequently do, you know, between five and 10,000. Um, okay. So, but that's, you know, in a couple of hours, I can generally knock out my, my word count, right? Well, that's really all you need. You need, you need consistency more than words, 
right? So I, I'll still do five five k a day. I mean, I'll you know what typically happens is I write in the morning, and then I start doing some work for Draft to Digital, and then in the afternoon I've got some free time, so I'll write some more. You know, so I, I typically do you know between five to ten k a day, um, just because, right? Um, but the great thing about the work I'm doing for Draft to Digital is it overlaps so well and integrates so well with my own career goals. Like, um, well, that's the wrong way to put it with the career I'd already built. Um, cause I like going to these conferences and meeting other authors. I like, you know, I like representing draft to digital. I mean, I go out and, you know, I'm the face of the company. I go out and talk to people and, you know, introduce them to D to D as a concept. And so, um, for me, it, there wasn't like additional work back before I started working with D2D. My sort of supplemental income was copywriting and marketing work for clients, right? So all I did was replace that. <laughs> yeah, that was and it something very nicely. Yeah, yeah. And something and this far is even more enjoyable. Better. Yeah, right, right. It's far. It's more enjoyable for multiple reasons. The the chief of which is, um, I love. I, I have this huge passion for indie authors. Right. I just they're my they're my people. They're my community. Um, and anything I can do to help an indie author, you know, I love this. So I have this phrase I use. I, t- I call people will be authors like the people who want to do it but haven't done it. Like you're a will be author. Right. I don't like would be because that that sort of implies, you know, you would. But, you know, whatever. I don't want to give anyone the excuse. You, you will be. And D to D is is all about empowering authors you know they we have all these free resources you know everything we do is free the only way we make any money is if you uh distribute your book through us and and the book sells so you know we love that scenario because it's an it's in everybody wins scenario you know we do what's best for the author and then that takes care of our needs as well so uh i was a fan of these guys long before i started working for them they heard me talking about them you know, they invited me into the fold. It's been as of as of this month. It's been a year, you know, and I, I only realized that this morning. So it's been it's been kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I've been a year with the company now, and uh, it's been amazing. So it, it, it seems like every every week we're coming up with some new thing that's going to be really useful to authors. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. But that's a happy anniversary to us too, Kevin, because I think you were on the podcast day when I started. Uh, Rider on the Road is now a year old. Uh, you were oh. one of my first guests. Um, it was the draft to digital thing, so we really should have more parties. Uh, now, Kevin's first novel is free on his website, everybody, um, so that can be your first gift. Uh, you can download the first book for free and then chittle along and buy the other two. Uh, draft right. to digital is about empowering authors. Uh, it has, I'm assuming, even though it makes no money and it gives away all these things for free, it would have to be one of the most successful companies out there right now in the yeah, digital budgeting, wouldn't it? Right. We're leading that that segment of the industry, um, the the publishing aggregator segment. You know, um, and it's interesting because you know, so there are some criticisms of, of D2D in the form of we don't have as many um, distribution channels as some of our competitors. And uh, what I've d- discovered, uh, one, of the th- one of the first things I discovered was that the reason we don't is we're very picky. <laughs> we, uh, we vet those distributors the same way we would vet content from an author, um, you know, to make sure that it fits the distributor's guidelines. Like we, we make sure that any distributor we uh, partner with has a good history. You know, they're trusted. They, they pay on time. Um, you know, they... They don't uh, alienate the authors. They don't, you know, we and you know, we handle all the customer support between the author and that distributor, right? We also want to make sure that the relationship we have with them is solid enough that if there's a problem, we can solve it. And, you know, so on that score, you know, we're adding to our, our list of distributors all the time. We've got we got about four new ones that are that are going to be coming up over the next six months, and uh, just alone. And some of them are huge, uh, and I, I cannot tell you who they are. <laughs> but authors are going to be very excited uh, about some of them. Um, and you know, we're every chance we get, we we build something new to benefit the author, uh, and we we make our money off of you know their success. You know, 
We only make a we make that cut of royalty, and that's all the money we make, and we're doing pretty well. I mean, we're you know we're dominating that market anyway. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd move move right back to what you can't tell us and new distributors. I would have yeah. thought you had all the big ones tucked away already. Yeah, we've got we've got some of the big ones. You know, there's still a few out there that we, um, you know, for one reason or another, we don't have, um, and we've been pursuing relationships and smoothing things out. There are some that uh, authors have requested quite quite frequently, and these may not be as important to the overseas um, authors. Um, some of them, because they are, uh, some of them are very U.S. centric, but um, we're adding we're adding to that uh, at a really a phenomenal rate uh, in, in my estimate i mean some some groups uh you know pronoun came on board with all these guys in place but pronoun is also uh owned by mcmillan <laughs> so they're in a way i like i personally wouldn't go to pronoun because they're, you're just basically committing to the big five you know and they're the enemy you know <laughs> Maybe I really, the enemy. kevin tell us all about find a way okay uh find a way so Originally, they approached us, uh, and it was a it was sort of a, a really good idea from the start. Um, they knew that we had a large author base. Uh, they were about to release uh, their new program, Voices, which empowers authors to do their own audiobook production. Um, we liked the way they did business. We liked their vibe. You know, they they think very much like us. Uh, we, you know, we had them come in, uh, to Oklahoma city. I flew up to Oklahoma city and we all went to a very expensive steak dinner together. Um, spent a whole day hanging out and talking and hashing things out. And, uh, we came away from that with a very strong partnership that so far has benefited both companies uh, quite a bit, but even better has benefited our authors. Um, so, and the gist of this is, uh, you can now, Using uh, Findaway Voices, you can start producing your own audiobooks. Um, it's it's in a way, it's a lot like the uh, ACX program with Audible, but it's open to everyone globally. Uh, and then you get a few more perks, such as being able to control your list price. Uh, you're paid based on your list price uh, everywhere, but Audible. Audible controls all their pricing and everything. And there's nothing we can really do about that. But, uh, you know, they distribute to audible though, and they distribute to iTunes and all the majors, they have a 170 plus markets globally. Um, and that it's just, they just smoke audible when it comes to this stuff. Um, but the, you know, that price control opens up a lot of possibilities for authors. Uh, for example, the ability to sell shorter works, uh, cause you know, audible subscribers, they have their one or two credits, um, and they won't they won't try untried authors, and they won't try anything shorter than say twenty hours. Uh, but if they can just buy your book for a buck ninety nine, you know, or or somewhere in that neighborhood, they're going to be far more likely to try you. So what we've got is a scenario where uh, audiobooks can function much more the way uh, ebooks functioned, where you can actually have first in series for free because you can price all the way down to zero with uh, Find a Way. And you can have a serialized story over several short recordings instead of one long one. Uh, so you can you know, extend your royalty, extend the amount of money you make. So there, there are a lot of big advantages to this. Um, and where draft to digital comes in is we've made it a one-button process to transfer the information about your book to Find a Way. Um, so that you can begin the audio production process. And if you go through draft to digital you don't have to pay Findaway's um, standard $49 admin fee. So you save money right off the bat, and then uh, they'll help you find the right narrator for your, the tone and style of your book uh, and the narrator that will work with your, your budget so that you can you know, keep your overhead low. Um, so it's... We it's been amazing because, you know, we launched this just a couple of days ago officially. Uh, we've already heard from Findaway that they had like they've, so far this week, they've had like 800 new registrations. And to put that in perspective, like they normally get maybe 100 in a week, you know. And, uh, so we've like, you know, 10 X their uh, their uh, model there. And that's just for this initial launch. I mean, and that's not going to continue. But um uh, there was a real hunger from our authors. Uh, they really wanted to be able to produce their own audiobooks. Uh, if you produce your own, by the way, and you, you, you record 
yourself or you uh, already have an audio file or, you know, whatever means you, you manage to get your hands on your audio book, you can bring it to find a way at no charge and distribute it to their network. And at that point, they function very much like draft to digital. They only make um, a percentage of your royalty and that's it. So it's just, that's what works great for us. Like that's one of the things that attracted us is that they had a very similar model to ours. I'm talking a, a lot again, so I'll let you. I'll let you. Uh, I feel self-conscious about it now. Thanks a lot. Uh, I, I had a win against <laughs> Kevin. I love it. <laughs> I got to end up on his Facebook um, page. Um, <laughs> lambasted and lampooned. Uh, I. This is the most exciting part of the podcast, everybody. I. I've got to admit, I love talking about you. Uh, talking about you. Talking about your fiction with you today because I'm I love talking to, about me too. <laughs> I'm going to go and buy those books. Um, I'm getting more and more enamoured with the uh, uh, the thriller genre and that that. Um, that history part has really got me um, intrigued. Well, you know what's fun about thrillers and why they're so interesting to people is that um, they they can cover literally any any genre. There are, you know, if you look at the thriller genre, it. it when I would tell people that I wrote science fiction, nine point nine times out of ten, I would get someone who would say, "Oh, I don't I don't read science fiction." You know what, and they might actually be a huge fan, right? Right, but you probably read a lot more science fiction than you realize, you know, or or you are exposed to a lot more than you think. Uh, it's just that that label has certain connotations. But with a thriller, I can write a science fiction story, uh, but put a gun in that guy's hand, and it's a thriller. And so uh, I'm writing the same sort of character-driven fiction that I wrote before, but it's not. It's received in a whole new way. And people are excited about thrillers because they can get exposed to, you know, everything from, you know, revolutionary science to history to even in the case of like um, uh, Joanna Penn's work, you know, uh, spirits and, and demons and, you know, fairies or well, not fairies. But, you know, they, you might have a thriller based on fairies or something. I mean, it's, it's not unheard of, you know. So you can get all that stuff uh, and people are excited because – the genre is so wide open and it has so much possibility. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. Like I just, and I getting, just completely fell in love with it. And getting back to <laughs> find a way, uh, well, I think the best, way. the best way to do that is to say, have you put your own books up? I know you had, you got a narrator for your first one, first novel, and right. you paid quite a lot of money for it and you did it professionally. Are you going to put right. these other ones through draft to digital? Uh, I've I've actually been waiting to for this launch uh, to to start this, and one of the things that I'm considering, and I've I've had a whole conversation with uh, Kelly Lytle from uh, from Findaway, and he's the head of Vo the Voices program over there. Um, we're thinking we might try to get me to record some of my books. Like I may actually fly out to Santa Barbara and spend a couple of weeks there um, reading maybe maybe one of the maybe the next one, maybe Atlantis Real or something. Um, and do it as a sort of, you know, film the whole thing and, you know, cut it as a promotional piece. Uh, so I'm, I may start reading my own. <laughs> uh, it'll just depend on how much, how much. Why am I not party. surprised? Why am I, I think you, you know, would be perfect for reading your books. You have, you have the personality, you have the, um, the voice and you have the story. Why but wouldn't it's a you? Different, it's very different. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a performance, you know, and, uh, and, you you know, and I do a lot of broadcasting yeah. and that sort of thing, but I, you know, I, it, there's a, I think it's going to take, uh, just like it took a while for me to find my voice as a writer, not a while, but I mean, it, it took doing it a lot, uh, to do it. I think I would have to do this quite a bit to get comfortable with it so that I'm doing a, an actual performance rather than just doing a read. Um, but it'll help a great deal to have professionals who say, re redo that line because you sounded like you were bored with it, you know, or something <laughs> giving me direction. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about the idea. Yeah. I, mean, I looked into the whole thing um, and on my, on, my, um, on my blog site or podcast site, it's got an open road audio because I wanted to go into audio narration as well. Uh, yeah. My problem was my daughter's in theatre and she started bringing home all the voice acting books. And by the time I waded through all these things, I went, I can't do this and I lost confidence yeah. um, and I'm listening yeah. to you and the same thing. I'm thinking, I think you're great. And then 
by the time the voice actors get with you and say, well, where's your acting training? Where's your voice training? Where's this? Where's that? And you go, yeah, maybe I can't do it after yeah. all. So make yeah, the film, but do I it. I hate that. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I am a person who believes strongly that your, all, all of your limitations come from yourself, you know, and I think that if you truly want to do something, you will do it. So you uh, will be our narrator. I'm putting you down here. A passion for indie I, authors. You are a passion for indie narrators. You will be a narrator. Why not? Why, why not? not? <laughs> let's, let's claim it now. I, I am going to. I am going to narrate something. I've already determined this. Um, so we'll, whatever it'll be. Uh, I haven't really decided on what it'll be first. Uh, but if that pro, if that whole process goes well and I and I enjoy it, I may do it again. Um, and you know, I could go. Joanna actually, she does narration for people uh, for money, you know. So uh, that's not a bad way to go if I like what I'm doing and I get a process down, you know. Pay now, me, uh, and pay me to narrate. <laughs> the exciting thing about that, that whole thing's come up again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, everybody, focus. Uh, find a way and draft to digital. They're coming to the Romance Writers Conference here in Australia in mm-hmm. August, and the head of draft to digital will be there. And it's an opportunity right. for us to find out more about find a way here in Australia because we don't have the um, options that that you have in America to get your right. books um, things. So I'm assuming everyone in Australia will knock these guys over when they come out here next month. Yeah, one of the most exciting things about this has been the fact that we were able to open this up to a global uh, marketplace. Like the ACX doesn't accept. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the whole process is, but I know that um, uh, authors from outside the U.S. have a difficult time uh, utilizing something like ACX. Oh, hello! I must have accidentally said something to Siri. Hello, Siri. Welcome. Uh, (laughs) But the the great thing about Find a way voices is that it's open to literally everyone. Doesn't matter where you are. So you're not not only is it open to you to produce, but your books are going to be in every market. You know, practically every market there is worldwide. Um, so it's the it's the first time we've had that. You know, mm-hmm. we're and just to give you kind of a clue about how powerful audiobooks are right now. Um, I was talking to the guys from the self publishing podcast, uh, uh, Johnny Truant and uh, Sean Platt. Um, just they have a, a few audiobooks up. They pulled up data during the call about one of their books that they just published as an audiobook. They've done nothing to promote it, right? And uh, just through organic traffic, people just stumbling across the book, they had sold um, 100 books that month, okay? Uh, so I said, okay, just imagine now, let's just say that that's, let's say that half of that would be typical in any given market. And you take that that book and make it available in on in a hundred and seventy markets instead of just one, right? So uh, if you could just do half those sales, so fifty times seven hundred and fifty markets, I mean your your potential for revenue on that book with no effort is is through the roof, right? So that that just gives you an idea of how powerful this is. Like we're in the wild west with this. We're we're in the sort of the uh, this is the same. This is sort of the equivalent of the like uh, Kindle Gold Rush days for um, for eBooks. You know, I mean, we're we're at a point where everything's wide open. There is off. There is overhead. You know, there's an expense. It can be thousands of dollars. Um, but we're actually working. You know, find a way uh, has told us like we're working on ways to get the overhead of this down to maybe hundreds of dollars uh, or maybe there's some sort of subsidized program or maybe there's something else that can reduce the the cost of this and the barrier of entry to this so that you know even the author who just published a book for the first time has a shot at having an audiobook and that's that's exciting to me like this is a wide open market that can just blow up your income but it also you know, it, it gets you out to a group of readers who may never have discovered you otherwise. So, yeah, very exciting. And and it's another product on our list. So we've got our we've right. got our print copy, we've got our ebook copy, we've got our audio copy. Uh, you just said, and I just want to pick up and just to clarify that. We can do that now. I wanted to get off this telephone call or this podcast and rush up and upload my miner's wife so that you can make it into an audio book for me. But you said they're working yeah. on getting the price down. Should I wait? Um, I don't think that waiting would be beneficial to you uh, if if you're going to make this part of your strategy, um, because it doesn't look like that's going to be something that happens right away. Uh, that we're 
the problem with this this sort of thing is this is brand new, right? Um, the way they're handling voices is different than the their uh, sort of ongoing original model in, in a few key ways. Um, so really, as of this week, it exists. It didn't exist before. And uh, so now we're we're experimenting. We're finding like what works, what doesn't work, you know. And what's been great is they're they're operating very much the way we operate. We did this launch, and during the time of this uh, uh, over this past week during the time of this launch, problems right uh, arise and we have to fix them and we generally fix them within a couple of hours which is very different than most uh, software company models you know they usually release the product and if there are bugs you got to wait till the next development cycle to fix it so uh, we're fixing it as we go but it's also pointing out some of the the strengths and some of the weaknesses of the model so we have to concentrate first on making sure that the model is going to continuously uh, function for us that we are, you know, removing any inadequacies as we as as we find them, and then we can start looking at, you know, how do we make it better? You know, first we optimize and then we iterate. <laughs> <laughs> and so right now we're in the optimization uh, phase. We are, you know, we've built it. We're making it better. I say we because Draft to Digital has nothing to do with the actual mechanics of Findaway Voices. Uh, we don't even take. We don't even get a royalty. When you go to find a way through us, we don't get any money from it at all. We get a sort of referral fee, uh, so it's sort of an affiliate model with us, and we uh, help you by eliminating the admin fee, and we uh, make things easier for you to get the book to them. But once it gets to them, it's all find a way. Yeah. So, don't we sell it through you? No, no, because find a way has its own distribution network. Oh. So. Okay. Now we're talking about uh, potentially maybe adding their those uh, sales to your draft to digital dashboard at some point uh, to make it easier for you to just log into one place, um, and you can update your information and you know change your tax information and all that stuff through us. So you know we're it's not a full integration. We're more of a portal right now, um, and find a way we'll eventually partner with other uh, distributors too. We're not we're not it like we and we knew this going in like we're not the only ones right um but you know right now we we really are working hard to to uh make things very easy on the author so that when they get to basically what happens is when you use our free tools uh you do your ebook conversion you might do the automated print you know all the things that we have for you uh, there's a button there that says, would you like to make an audio book? And then you can click that and transfer all the information about your book over and then find a way picks up the baton from there and carries you on to success. Uh, so Now tell us about print because I don't think you had that at first, did you? It was all ebooks. So we did have print in the form of we used to support um, submitting your books to CreateSpace. Um, it was very problematic. It was very manual because of the way Amazon operates. Um and frankly, we didn't have a lot of takers. Uh, we had very few authors who actually opted into that program. So what we did was we eliminated that aspect of the program. So we no longer submit to that service. Um, but we kept the the automated print um, layout and improved it. Um, and I build this really, if, if you're familiar with Vellum, do you know Vellum? We use Vellum. We talk about Vellum all the okay. time. Yeah. So I love, I love Vellum and I paid for the, the, uh, print version and, you know, I, I mean, I, I use it. Um, but only, I only used it because we didn't have this functionality at first. If I, if we'd already had it, I wouldn't have done it. So I don't <laughs> have to buy, done. I don't have to buy Vellum anymore. No, but you don't have to. Are you paying per book, or you buy? Did you buy it flat out? No, I I haven't bought it yet. That's on my to do list, so I oh, don't okay. have to buy Vellum. I can just go. All to right. Well, let me shop. let me just tell you. First of all, <laughs> Draft to Digital's process is completely um, operating system agnostic. You can use it with any operating system. It doesn't have to just be Mac. Uh, it's browser based, right? Um, you do get some options on your trim size, so you can do different trim sizes. We do all the. Uh, support the major supported trim sizes uh, basically anything you can do any trim size you can do through create space you can do through us right um, and we'll work directly from your ebook we'll take that we do the the a very cool layout we're going to start offering some templates and options on this stuff eventually um, 
And then uh, you get a print-ready PDF when it's all over, and all you got to do is take that and upload it to whatever POD service you prefer. So if you want to take it to CreateSpace or Lulu or Ingram Spark, uh, you take it there, and it's all done for you. And it works really well. I mean, I've I've used it. Um, I I still have Vellum because I paid for it. <laughs> but uh, and we're we're also improving our ebook conversion. There's going to be uh, coming up, I mean, there's going to be some improved um, functionality there. You know, we already have the best there is, honestly, but we're going to actually add some uh, some more functionality to that, and people are going to just flip over it. So, and the, here's the best part, of course, is this is free. So you're going to get all this, you know, functionality that's very similar to Vellum, but you don't pay anything for it, and you don't have to have a Mac if you're if you're still using a PC. Uh, you could technically. You, you could technically initiate a, uh, a, a layout for ebook and print from your mobile device if you want to. I mean, it's, it's going to be that cool. <laughs> now, how exciting is that, everybody? Now, remember, uh, Draft Digital are going to be at the Romance Writers Conference here in Australia. Yeah. Uh, Kevin himself is going out, and I'm assuming it's the RWA conference in America, um, in Orlando. Uh, now, I've got an interview coming up with an indie. Oh, I've recorded an interview with an indie author over in New Zealand. Uh, Leanne is her name, or Leanna, and she's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as an indie author. I think she sells 300 books a day, and she's going over to the RWA conference there in Orlando. So make sure you say hello to Leanna for us from this side of the world. Uh, (laughs) And and here in Australia, we'll say hello to your boss who's going to be at the RWA conference here. Yeah, he he elbowed me out for the spot to to Australia this year. Next year, it'll probably be me, he uh, he and Dan Wood, Chris Chris Austin is our CEO, um, and this it, it is a big deal. It's a big deal because this is our first time at this particular conference, so he wanted to be there to you know put in some FaceTime and get to know some folks. But um, the, you know Dan Wood will be there. Dan Wood goes to a lot of these as well. He's he and I are kind of partners in crime on the. Uh, the conference scene so <laughs> it'll be good i think it's a few of us are fighting good. i think we're getting jld out to our podcasting conference in november on the gold coast i can understand why people do want to come out here um because of the sunshine and the the coast yeah. but I'm, you've got a bit of that over there as well so next year Kevin, oh, when you yeah, come out <laughs> next year when you're missing out. kangaroos that's what <laughs> we're mostly missing k- kangaroos and uh koala bears but <laughs> I think we've got a whole lot of kangaroos on the Gold Coast, but I'll check it out for you. I'm going, <laughs> to, I'm going down there next week to interview a folk band called Tomato Tomato. Have you ever heard of a folk band called oh, Tomato God. Tomato? No, it's intriguing, but I like folk bands, so I'd probably like them. <laughs> oh, so yeah. you know them, yeah. All right. Now, I, don't, I don't know them, but I would probably like them. Yeah. <laughs> now, Kevin has gone over and above his duty today. He's talked for an hour with us, but we had so much to talk about with the book. Apparently, um, I've done nothing but talk for an hour. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, now, all that information, everybody, I think I'll just distill into a blog post. Not that I – I think my blog post is about up to date as yours Yours is, Kevin. We, we don't tend to do them very much. But the fact that we can do everything through draft to digital now that we don't have to buy vellum anymore although vellum is a, is a great product uh we can write our books we can upload our books we can keep most of the money for ourselves other than 15 percent of um that draft to digital keep it's it's such a good way to go and now we can get our audio books as well through find away uh it's exciting and especially if you're just coming into uh indie publishing everyone it's it's all getting easier and easier every day and it's guys like kevin who are making it happen now mm. as you can see and i'm not going to stop talking talking because Kevin will start talking again and I won't get in this final bit. Oh, no. <laughs> and Burn. now Kevin has this beautiful podcast of his own and he's interviewed uh, three or four four of my favourite people on his podcast recently and I recommend that everybody goes and listens to his podcast and it's called Wordslinger and he's, he's had on Joanna Penn. Catherine Rush and Dean Wesley Smith and Kevin Tomlinson. They've all been interviewed on his podcast and they're well worth a listen. I haven't got time to talk to you about those today, Kevin, but they, they are right up there with the um, best in the industry, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they, and they were great interviews. You know, you'll you'll enjoy them, but you'll also get quite a bit out of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm and- keeping all my answers succinct now. I don't want to... <laughs> I don't, want to, I don't want to be accused of uh, talking too much. <laughs> He's, he, you're a honey. And, and I hope after me giving you stick that you will come back onto the podcast again and be my be my annual. Um, 
Of course, yeah. We'll do a check-in. This will yeah. be our annual D2D Kevin Tomlinson check-in. We'll yeah. do it every year. And next <laughs> next time I get to um, drink a glass of wine at night and you get to drink the cup of hot chocolate in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably still be whiskey, honestly, yeah. if we're really being honest. <laughs> He's got a good life and he goes out for long lunches with big steaks and I'm guessing they're all picked up and called uh, tax deductions. Yeah, oh, yeah, heck yeah. yeah, yeah. That's another I wouldn't thing. do it if it wasn't a tax deduction. I'd yeah. eat at McDonald's or something. <laughs> and that's why we have our own businesses, everybody. That's why we're entrepreneurs. Uh, and the next step is to travel around the world and visit each other. And when you come out to Australia, I'll lend you my caravan so you can go I will be campus. there. I am, yeah. I am going to eventually be in Australia, just well, not this time. Yeah. So. Well, if you sneak in and sneak out, I'll know I've offended you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. This so, is a big country. <laughs> I might be in a different region. no excuses we don't take excuses here in oz uh look thank you for being such a good sport thank you for sharing especially about your new novel uh i'll make sure that this podcast goes up so that it celebrates the the release of the devil's interval uh which is really exciting i'm going to buy the devil's interval my my first thriller um, and we'll i will actually may even get a chance to read it kevin thank you um where can we find you you can uh, well if you're looking for draft to digital, go to drafttodigital.com, uh, and you can find me at kevintomlinson.com. Yeah, and you can find his podcast at the Word Slinger. So that's by now. Podcast.com. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's by from the Word Slinger, and it's by from Rider on the Road. <laughs>